This is FM 91 KISU Pocatello, Idaho Falls. Over the next hour here on KISU, it's the annual Legislative Preview Forum sponsored by the Idaho Falls City Club. This year's panel features State Senator Bart Davis and State Representatives Dennis Lake and Janice McGee. The forum is moderated by Carol Honus. And now the annual Legislative Preview Forum from the City Club of Idaho Falls. To introduce our guests and to moderate our discussion, we turn now to an advocate, not only of the state of Idaho, but I must say the University of Idaho. She's been stalwart, and I think her son just recently graduated from there. On top of it all, she's a member of our board of directors at the City Club. As we all know, a member and an anchor of KIFI Channel 8, welcome to our podium, Carol Honus. Well, I'm so glad to be here because this will be a preview for me and for anybody in the news business, just like it will be for all of you. We all, as voters, have got a really tough year ahead of us. So these are our friends, our representatives, and the folks are going to make the tough decisions. So I'm going to invite our panel right up to the uh, stage now. If they'll join me, please, Representative Dennis Lake and Janice McGeehan and Senator Bart Davis. These are very experienced <laughs> legislators. I told them I thought it would be kind of hard to make this sparky because we had all Republicans up here. So I'm counting on the audience members' questions to help us really get to the meat and get to the, the grit. Uh, there, each one of our representatives is going to talk just a little bit themselves at the top to explain what they're most concerned about, how they think they're going to be approaching this next session. Um, just so you know, if, if you haven't had the chance to meet our representatives, uh, Dennis Lake is a lifelong resident of Idaho, graduated from BYU with an accounting degree. He runs a huge family ranch and a cattle feeding operation, and he's about to start, if I'm correct, eighth term. So we're talking experience, business background, knows how to crunch numbers, and probably knows how to swear, because anybody that's in the cattle business knows how to swear. So. Am I right on that? He knows. Okay. <laughs> we do. We've talked about this, haven't we? Uh, Representative McGeehan is beginning her fifth legislative session. She graduated from the University of Arizona Business Administration, and she has a degree in finance and accounting. She's on the uh, head of the uh, House Health and Welfare Committee. There's going to be a lot of action in that committee this next session. And Senator Bart Davis, who graduated from BYU and then got his law degree from the really good school at the University of Idaho. And so we are so lucky again to have the legal expertise, the accounting expertise, finance expertise, people that know how to crunch numbers. So they are our friends. We're on like a first name basis with them. And this is an opportunity for us to one on one find out how they're going to get through the next legislative session because it cannot possibly be easy. So beginning with Representative Lake, if you would start, just kind of give us a, a quick one. I mean, we've got an hour, so give us five minutes, and then Janice and then Bart, and then we will ask some questions from the audience. And audience members, did you notice the white pieces of paper on your tables and pens? So write a question down that you have, and then somebody will circle by, pick it up, hand it to me, and we'll ask these guys. Uh, thank you, Carol. The things that I, uh, I usually talk about are, are boring beyond belief because I always talk about uh, numbers. Uh, but I might just tell you that, uh, and I'm quoting, that the art of taxation consists in so plucking the goose as to obtain the largest amount of feathers with the smallest amount of hissing. Now, that, that was uh, a quote from... Uh, 
from Jean Baptiste Colbert, who was a minister of finance in the late 1600s. And I, I tell you that just to point out that some things never change. So uh, as Carol mentioned, I do chair the Revenue and Taxation Committee in the House, the place where all, uh, all tax bills start. I need to, to, and some of you have heard me do this before, and I apologize for that, but I need to kind of take you on a little trip down memory lane to show you how we got into the situation we're in financially now and what, what we did in times past to try and prevent uh, being in a financial situation that we have. So let me just uh, talk just briefly about where we have been over the last few years. In January uh, 2003, we had come off from a year very similar to what we had a couple years ago, and that is a year that uh, the revenues dropped 15% one year. And, and the solution that year was to, uh, and, and the governor come out and talked about a little thing called a structural deficit. Interestingly enough, I heard that same terminology on the federal level this morning on television. So uh, uh, it's a little terminology that says that you're your expenses are not meeting your revenues, and you got to do something about it. So anyway, uh, the solution at that time was to raise the sales tax a penny, and we did that after a prolonged session. 2004, uh, the, the uh, tax revenues did respond to the tax increase. Also, we started the beginning of the housing boom, and, and revenues went up. By 2005, uh, the sales tax reverted back to the 5%. Uh, uh, the the uh, governor and, and the legislature got a lot of accolades uh, uh, for the fact that we actually raised it temporarily, brought it back down. And uh, revenues increased 8.8%, even though we took away uh, one, one penny of the sales tax. 2006 come along, and how many of you can remember the big issues back in 2006? It was all about property tax, wasn't it? Sales valuations were skyrocketing, and people were very unhappy. Uh, myself, uh, I co-chaired a committee, the interim committee on, on property taxes. We went around the state, uh, took testimony at 12 locations, and, and listened to what people had to say about it, and we, we got an earful. So we came back to the legislature, made a recommendation that it would be appropriate for us to take the three mil of property tax, uh, the financing public schools, uh, operation maintenance public schools, take that off and move it over to the general fund. And we uh, were not successful in the regular session, but in a special session uh, called by Governor Risch, that happened. And, uh, and the net effect of that was that the sales tax went back up to 6% and we offered about $50 million in tax relief. 2007, uh, revenues are up another 16%, uh, part of that because of the increase in sales tax, budgets are growing, reserves are building, uh, despite what some legislators want to do. They didn't want to build any reserves, but we did. 2008, uh, this is where we started that tipping point. This is where Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac said that they were not going to take all these subprime mortgages that were floating around. And, uh, and it just started to tip. But we still grew the budget, and uh, reserves reached a peak of $319 million. Now that is, uh, that is about 15% of, 
of what the budget was at that time, total budget. Did you think that would be adequate to cover any downturn that we'd have? 2009, we lost that entire 15 percent. Revenues dropped 15 percent in 2009. Uh, we took $105 million out of that reserve fund that we had to keep the budget whole, keep education whole, and uh, made the budget. 2010, uh, down, down it goes again, another 8.8 percent. So now we're up to a total of 23.5%. The revenues have dropped uh, in the state of Idaho on, on a level tax base. Don't take so long, huh? Well, you got us to 210, and I bet everybody else, because they were all there with you, can probably... Okay, we're there. All right. We're there. Uh, my point is that, um, that uh, we have, in fact, completed, completely used all of the reserves. We used the last of those to make a budget in 2011. And, and you have heard, uh, it's been well published in the media, we're around $350 million short as we look towards uh, preparing a 2012 budget. You say, ah, doom and gloom. But that's really not, uh, not where we're at. Uh, uh, there, there are some bright spots. Uh, we, uh, we, are, we did not budget uh, in 2011 to, uh, to what the economists said we'd have come in, about $65 million under that. Uh, revenues are, are coming in a little higher than even the economists report. Um, we think that we can estimate revenues for 2012 to come in maybe 5% uh, higher than they are in 2011. Putting that all together, instead of having a $350 million hole to, uh, to plug, we have about, uh, my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I'm not speaking for the governor or the legislature, but we have about a $100 million hole that somehow we have to, to compensate for that either with increased revenues or, or further budget cuts. And that's with what that, we'll be asking you, Dennis, is you know, exactly which revenue-enhancing measures you're going to support. That'll be one of the questions, I'm sure. Okay. Janice, is there anything in particular you need to add? That's not the history for us, so we, we know why we're in the hole. Uh, but, but basically, I know these guys want to ask questions, so if you'll just kind of hit okay. it real fast. Thank okay, you. so asking a politician to uh, talk about how to fix our broken health care system in less than five minutes, Carol, that's just wrong. <laughs> but I'll do my best. Um, I had a speech prepared, and I'm going to do my best to keep my comments low. We have a lot coming down the pike. At, to, to, in, to the states with the, the federal health care law that was passed this year. There are a number of provisions that will affect the state of Idaho. The, one of the provisions in the, the federal law was the individual mandate for businesses and individuals to purchase health insurance with certain lifetime benefits. Um, the Health Freedom Act that we passed declared the policy of Idaho is that people who live here have the right to choose how they buy, pay for their health care services. Governor Otter was one of the first to, to file a lawsuit against the federal government on the basis that this was unconstitutional. On Monday, December 13th, a federal judge ruled in favor that, that it was unconstitutional. And I have a, a list of 220 companies in the country that have already received a waiver from the health and from HHS on some of these limitations. So that part of the federal law, uh, there's, there's some questions to how that's going to all play out. We also, in the state of Idaho, we are required to set up these health care exchanges, which will help individuals and small businesses shop, select for, enroll in um, <clears throat> affordable private health plans that suit their needs. 
they, um, through these exchanges, we will be able to assist eligible individuals to receive premium tax credits through federal or state health care programs. And through these exchanges, we will evaluate and determine eligibility for applicants for Medicaid. And as a state, we have to have those established and certified by January 1, 2013, or else HHS will come in and tell us how to run our programs. And another big part of the federal law is the Medicaid expansion. We will be expanding coverage to include single or married men and women who meet the income thresholds of 133% of poverty level beginning 2014. From the CMS, Center for Medicare Services Actuary, it is estimated that there will be a 35% increase in Medicaid enrollment at a cost of $155 million to the state of Idaho. Where are we at now? Right now, our Medicaid program, we're looking currently with no expansion, we're looking at a $172 million gap in our budget. Uh, most of that comes from the loss of the increased federal match rate that we've been getting from the feds. We're going to lose that next year, and we're looking at a $33 million caseload. So we're going to have to really look at the top categories. That's what we're going to do in my committee. We're going to scrutinize the top categories of spending in Medicaid, and our first goal will be to help the agency and the, the, um, the budget committee try to figure out how we're going to, what, what changes need to be made to live within the budget, whether it's a $5 million reduction, $50 million reduction, or $100 million. Um, the, what's staggering to me, I do have some information on the cost drivers of Medicaid if you want to ask that later, but I did an analysis and what's staggering to me, I find out how we've been spending our money in Medicaid versus education. Here's where the debate is, here's we where we have to make some decisions. In the last four years, we have funded in Medicaid caseload growth and pricing and util utilization increases to the tune of $39 million in state dollars. And in education, for the same period of time, the last four years, we have, there has been a negative 20, $25 million spent in education. Um, this is the debate that we're going to have. These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. They're not easy questions. Um, just on health care in general, we have, as a country in, in America, we spend 16% of our GDP on health care, almost twice the amount that other developed countries spend on health care, but yet we have lower health, lower life expectancies, higher infant mortality rates, and we've seen a dramatic increase in obesity in our country in the last year, which leads to um, cardiovascular disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes. And our Medicare and Medicaid programs pay for bear about half of the cost of that in our country. So there's a lot of room for improvement on how we deliver health care. But bottom line, we expect a lot, all of us in this room, we expect a lot from our government on all levels. In our schools, we expect parents to, our parents expect our schools to feed their kids breakfast and lunch. Some of our teachers bring coats to their kids. In our communities, we like well-plowed roads, flowers, and all that. We expect a lot from our government, but we don't always figure out how we're going to pay for those services. So my challenge to all, the, you, we are policymakers. We have to live with our resources. 
We need help from all of you and from our whole community to help us change. The model is broken. We need help from you to help. We, we can figure some of these problems out in our community. We've got the brain. This will knowledge. be the group that can do it. <laughs> but we need flexibility, most of all from our federal government, and we need support from our community. So I'm, I'm excited to take some questions and welcome the opportunity. Thank you. <clears throat> I don't like the idea that you have a microphone, Carol. Uh, the, the, the post register today uh, asked each of us a question. In fact, those are three questions that have just been handed in. Do you well, want to start with yours? I'm going to start with mine. Do you want to read the question out loud then so I everybody do else? because I typed it, and so if I typed it, you're going to have to listen to me read it. <clears throat> well, actually, I cut and paste, so... Uh, for Davis, this is the question that Corey Tolley asked. The estimated budget shortfall for fiscal year 2012 is 340 million. Idaho's public schools were cut by 128.5 million. That's led to the loss of teachers' aides, reading instructors, and even the cancellation of junior high school sports in District 91. Do you see any foreseeable way the schools can avoid taking a similar cut in 2012? And in the spirit of disclosure, my wife is a school teacher. She teaches fourth grade, and she has uh, 28 children in her classroom and uh, has been working and limping along the best she could without teacher aides in her classroom this year. Normally, she would have been eligible for two. I've heard about this before. <clears throat> Stay with me as I attempt to answer the question on what might appear as a shaggy dog story, but in reality focuses on uh, the question and uh, and also pardon the religious illusion. A leader of my church was once asked uh, why God uh, commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac and the answer came back Abraham needed to learn something about Abraham. Uh, to my knowledge Idaho has never been here before. The House and the Senator knew, well that's not unusual, the cuts, yes seem cuts, or cuts seem apparent and most legislators seem committed to some significant additional cuts. But when confronted with raising the knife to certain kindergarten through 12th grade or college or uh, further education cuts, will the sacrifice be made? Again, the legislature has never ascended this financial Mount Moriah before, and time will only tell. The state of Idaho and the legislature, in my opinion, need to learn something about themselves. But is there a ram in the thicket? I'm suggesting the answer is both yes and no. And uh, 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 Chairman Lake has already spoke to some of it. In short, I do not see the Idaho legislature restoring the fiscal year 2011 education cuts to FY2012. To me, the question should be, what further cuts are likely to occur to education in the upcoming school year? Let me explain it this way. <clears throat> we budgeted this last year projecting 1.8% growth. So far this fiscal year, which starts July 1st, uh, DFM has adjusted that fiscal growth number from 1.8 to 4.7. If that actually holds through the rest of the fiscal year, that's $80 million. Furthermore, um, the revenue we've actually collected July through November 
If it holds, and the big months are still ahead of us, January, April, May and June, is that, is that right? You would know those better than I. If those hold, that gets us closer to 6%. That's another $110 million. Um, our expenditures, however, we're going to have uh, supplementals that'll come in and Representative Mortimer is probably the better person to talk to about this since he serves on JFAC and you have. Uh, we have Medicaid of about seven million, CAT fund of about 12 million, corrections five, so about another 24 million. So if Idaho hits 4.7 and if the supplementals stay at 24, we really net at about $60 million to offset against that $340 million hole. But FY 2011, uh, as uh, Dennis indicated, was cobbled together with the last of our savings and our federal stimulus money. We don't have it anymore. Uh, as a result, to put together fiscal year 2012, we're down 14%. Idaho has never in its history had that kind of an economic turnaround from one year to another. So I've got a $340 million hole. I can, if I can carry $60 million forward, that reduces it down. If I have a 3% economic growth for the next year, well, that's about $75 million. That's about a net of a $200 million hole. Uh, and if that becomes the number, that's an 8% across the board cut for 2012. Now don't interrupt me, put your microphone down. I'm close to the end. I'm just gonna use it like a lasso. Yeah, I know what you're gonna do. <clears throat> Are there other rams in the thicket? Well, tobacco tax that we have uh, as reference, uh, some Millennium Fund non-endowed corpus that's still available to us. There's a grocery tax credit. There's some clawback of some dedicated funds that our JFAC staff are looking to see if that's a possibility. And I guess the only other specific fact I need you to keep in your mind is that for each percent in revenue growth or reduction in Idaho, that equals about $25 million. So keep that in mind. So to date, Idaho has been cautiously pessimistic about revenue growth. Uh, and that process of uh, being cautiously pessimistic, as hard as it was, in my opinion, has served Idaho quite well. Um, and whether that should shift now from cautious pessimism to cautious optimism is certainly something we'll need to wrestle with. I worry that the mindset that we've had to uh, uh, be financially prudent and rigid in our spending uh, uh, that, that we not let that mindset close our minds to what we learn in these next uh, half a dozen weeks or so about revenue projection. My experience teaches me that collectively we will not do that. We'll, or excuse me, that we will not make that mistake. We will, in fact, uh, listen to the experts and uh, make the best judgment that we possibly can. Thanks. Okay, if I wrap you up now, sir? Yeah, All right. Okay. <laughs> it's good it's, it's good to get the background, and you answered a lot of the questions already that people have asked. Uh, I know it's kind of difficult, but I'd like to try just in the interest of um, speed and sound bites that I'm used to. Can you answer yes or no on down the line? 
Increasing the cigarette tax. Uh, yes, and I'll support it. I'll, I'll, I'll sponsor. I'll You'll sponsor, sponsor. I'll sponsor. Even okay. I'm I'm keeping my my powder dry on that. No comment. Cigarette tax. Well, that's that wasn't a yes or no. And I thought you said I had to say yes or no. Can I explain mine? I guess if it doesn't take too long. No, uh, I'm with Dennis. Yes, yes on cigarette tax. Yes. Second one then, soda pop tax. No. This, I get to I get to talk about oh. this other than yes or no. I'm sorry, it's not my turn. Uh, this is a question that Corey posed in the uh, in the paper this morning, and uh, and I'll I'll tell you from my perception why we don't tax uh, uh, soda pop. You know, everybody says well it causes obesity. Now it's not the soda pop that causes obesity. What causes obesity is taking more calories in than what you expend through energy, through uh, activity. So if we're going to uh, tax calories, in fact, is what he's proposing. We got to tax all calories, uh, be it potatoes or soda pop or whatever it is. So uh, well, I'm not interested in a... You don't want uh, the farmers mad at you, Dennis. We're not going to tax potatoes. Come on. <laughs> right. All right. Point, so point your, well taken. your answer is basically, no, we're not going to tax calories. Janice, you want to weigh in on this uh, maybe, one? Maybe. I mean, it's just in so, so insignificant that we might talk about raising $2 million and taxing a product when we're looking at a $340 million deficit. That's what the real problem is. We need to reform and restructure how we deliver our services. Well, uh, obviously you know my answer. I gave it last year. I'll give it again this year. No, but I won't have to cast that vote because if Chairman Lake doesn't want me to have to vote on it, I won't get to. All right, internet tax sales. Sales on internet. We heard that a lot during the gubernatorial race. Again, right. down the line. Down the line? Yeah. Uh, is this a yes or no? Well, I think you guys are incapable of that, but I would like short answers. <laughs> We, uh, we're talking about the Streamlined Sales Tax Act, and uh, and I've supported it over time. And we need to pass it. We need to get on with it. That does not uh, make the tax happen. All that does is put Idaho at the table. What makes the tax happen is an act of Congress. And I think everybody's heard this over the years and understand what the issue is. Uh, it's a chicken or, chicken or egg. The, uh, the Congress is saying the states have got to show us a path forward, how we're going to collect it and distribute it before we say it's okay. And, and uh, some states, including Idaho, have been saying there's no reason for us to do anything because the federal government's got to act. No, because of the issue of Constitution. The con our Constitution says states cannot tax across state lines, and that's on that basis. But if we lowered our overall sales tax rate by removing some exemptions on services, then, then I believe we could be more competitive with other states that are charging a lower sales tax rate, and then it wouldn't be an issue. Well, I've, I've voted for the streamlined sales tax uh, several times in the Senate, uh, but as uh, Chairman Lake says, until Congress gives us the green light, uh, there's nothing we can do about it at the state level. So, but, but I have supported it in the past. All right, what about this idea? Um, we have less money to spend. The budgets are smaller. Uh, why don't we have less legislators? That would save us some money. <laughs> Can we start at this end now? I have no problem as long as we take them from the house. <laughs> you know, as we're going into redistricting and everything, I mean, we would have to be careful because the bulk of the population lives in um, Ada County area. But uh, can, can we can we do with less? That would save money. That say what do you, what is it, like twenty one thousand? Is it that they, that you get paid for each session and? 
Well, we the, the Constitution sets the number, but it doesn't set it at 35. It sets it with a floor, and I think it's 32, 30, and, 30, and no more than 35. But if you do do that, uh, what you do is you do give a, a, not a percentage increase, but certainly the number of individuals from the Treasure Valley uh, do increase. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of that approach. I think, I think that uh, the representation and the constituent service that uh, legislators are able to provide to business industry and individuals important and so I, I think those are dollars well spent they are nominal uh, this uh, this job uh, pays me a little over sixteen thousand dollars a year uh, and uh, my wife uh, would be the first to tell you that that does not compensate for the reduction in uh, other income that we get and I'm sure that what I've described to you is consistent with the other men and women that serve in the Idaho legislature. Not a bad idea for me. It might be better for business. Less, fewer laws being passed, less money being spent, and fewer regulations imposed on our economy. And I would just uh, probably take exception with my seatmate here because that would just make it that much easier for lobbyists to have influence over legislators. Very fair. All right, I'll read this question, and we have three uh, that have come in on this same topic. I am astonished that Phil Hart, who openly refuses to pay his taxes, is allowed to serve in our legislature, which needs every tax dollar possible to fuel the budget. Uh, I was really appalled that a fellow Idaho legislator recently lost his committee seat because he voiced a complaint. Do you think Hart should remain in the legislature, and should legislators be punished for complaining about unethical behavior? Let's start out with that first one. How do you feel about Hart staying in the legislature? We would just start in the middle okay. this time. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I, I, first of all, I don't like paying federal taxes either, but I do it. And um, I don't uh, agree with some of the actions of my colleague, but I also don't feel like it's my, per, my job to determine whether or not he's there because he was duly elected by the people in his community. Now it's speculation whether or not the other one of my colleagues was actually punished because of his complaint and then on the issue of what happens I think we just need to let this ethics committee do their investigation and see what they what they come up with uh, as far as what what to do and I agree with my colleague well spoken I just point out to this group that 6300 people voted for Mr. Hart after they knew all of the allegations. Everybody comfortable with that? All right. It's a house issue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those doors aren't that far apart, but they feel farther and farther apart as I hear you talk. Okay, then I will say more than I should, Carol. Uh, uh, I think that they're spot on. Uh, this is an issue that Congress wrestled with uh, in the, uh, the late 60s, and the U.S. Supreme Court said when Congress refused to sit a uh, an incumbent and duly elected House member from New York who had some very serious personal problems. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court said, that's not your call. That belongs to the constituents. And frankly, uh, this good gentleman, uh, and he is a good man in many ways. Uh, I respectfully and substantially disagree uh, with him on some of his uh, uh, public and political positions. But nonetheless, I know him to be a good human being. Um, that being said, uh, I'm sure that this upcoming primary season in a couple of years, he'll have a further opportunity to vent his position. And 
and, and frankly, those uh, who people want to send is their decision. Um, so I, I think that they've got it spot on. I know nobody wanted to hear that, but that's what I think. We'll leave it up to their constituents then, in your opinion. Uh, do you think it's a good idea, is, in light of our tight budget, to take on challenges such as suing the federal government over wolves or health care? Uh, that does use resources. That is money. Are you supporting the governor on, on his federal lawsuits? Yes. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> is right. that a good answer because I, you agreed with it or because it was Because it's short. Uh, and to the point, yes, she supports the governor. Do I, you too? I do very, very strongly. As, as do I. All right. Uh, Janice, because you have a good handle on doing this short quickly, okay. why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now that's wrong again, Carol. Uh, the, the, these are difficult times that we're in, and we, this is the time for the states to assert their rights and uh, against the federal government usurping. I mean, the, our model of government will only work when it's a model of government that's closest to the people, and we can manage our health care and our and our uh, wildlife that best suits the way we need to do it here in Idaho, not the way someone thinks we should do it in Washington, D.C. This one, um, more about spending money in the state. $300,000 is not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, but it would pay for a number of teachers' aides. Why did the legislature spend 300000 to study the rebuilding of the failed Teton Dam? I'm just reading the question as we've got it. <laughs> Well, do you want me to take a run at this? I, I do remember that we ran some legislation a few years ago uh, to look at uh, not just the issue of rebuilding the Teton Dam, but what can we do in uh, increasing aquifer, uh, our, our aquifer, our, 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 uh, whether it would be with uh, rebuilding the dam or, uh, or pumping money into the aquifer or were there other streams that we could look to increase our, our storage capacity. Uh, we did that uh, several years ago and that certainly has been ongoing but I don't recall that we did that in this upcoming, this last budget cycle. I'm, I may be corrected but and look forward to being I am regularly. Study? And it's, it's just barely gotten started, and, and it definitely is definitely, definitely not limited to just rebuilding the dam. It's, it's as uh, Senator Davis said, uh, has a broader scope of trying to increase storage. Change anything about the way you feel on spending money on those studies? All right. All right. What, what additional revenue sources would you support? Well, uh, you, and, you know, know, I always say... This, this you know, is one of those things that... Uh, that that's why we have a legislature is we have ideas and they come and and I have a volume of, uh, of ideas on how to increase revenue they come every year uh, they come in good years they come in bad years everybody has got their great idea uh, one of the things we haven't talked about and I'm surprised is uh, the multitude of uh, exemptions that we have and uh, and we've talked about those off and on over the years uh, I brought I brought legislation to repeal some of those exemptions and pretty well uh, uh, it didn't go anywhere. Uh, Senator Davis spoke about the grocery tax credit. If you want to raise a hundred million dollars really quick and quite painful, painless, <laughs> yeah, quite painful for some people maybe, uh, but quite painless, is uh, is just repeal it. Uh, and we all pay just a little bit more. We don't pay anymore. We just don't get a credit back when we when we file our income tax. So uh, there's a hundred million dollars of low-hanging fruit there. Uh, 
the um, the uh, cigarette tax increase that uh, that we've talked about, and uh, which I will sponsor, uh, which may not pass. I don't know that. It's being brought as a as a health issue, not as a revenue enhancing issue. But there is uh, probably some revenue enhancements there. Uh, uh, beer and wine, for example, has not had a uh, a tax increase, excise tax increase, since 1961. That predates uh, the sales tax. We've tried a couple of times. Uh, good uh, uh, governor candidate um, Allred uh, brought legislation two years ago, and, and I had hearings for two days, three days actually, and uh, and it failed uh, by a very slim majority. We may see that again. So there's a lot of things out there, uh, but but my sense is you will see no general tax increase. Exemptions, not tax increases. Uh, to make the difference. And revenue enhancements, perhaps. Re revenue enhancement increase. is a tax increase, isn't it? What, how well, does that differ? Uh, look at, look at uh, cigarettes, for example. Uh, and you can actually look at that as a, as a, a fee, not a tax. Uh, it's a fee because the, uh, the people that use uh, tobacco products uh, have greater demands on your health delivery system in the state of Idaho. We know that. Um, so... Um, you know, you can rationalize any way you want, and uh, that's why we have a that's why we have a legislature and have we committees. Would you like to add that? Sure. I'm uh, just I'm I'm going to keep my mind open when I say keep my powder dry. I don't mean that lightly because I do also believe that a big part of fiscal responsibility is figuring out how to pay for the programs that our people demand from us. And, and, and on the issue of tax exemptions, I question why 36% of the state's economy is exempt from paying taxation. And we have to ask ourselves, why do we give those in the service industry a competitive advantage over those who are in the retail industry? Now, there's a number of you in this room today that benefit and enjoy a sales tax exemption on your services, including ours. Our business enjoys one of those sales tax exemptions. And I believe that if we were to remove some of those exemptions and lower the overall tax rate, that just that in itself will provide a more stable tax base for us to fund our, our important government services. So I've got a sign-up sheet here. Any of you want to come and put your name in support of the legislation, I would welcome that. I just wonder if we should give uh, Janice's husband, Jimmy, a chance to give rebuttal to... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's appropriate for me today to get ahead of two things. One, where I think the discussion is likely to go over the next several months, and two, my caucus. Um, my caucus has uh, yet to uh, given any direction on this. And frankly, until the Idaho legislature gets a, a deep sense of what you have to do to make a $340 million hole go away, I, I don't know that the, the legislature even knows what it's willing to do. Now, your question was, what am I willing to do? And that is, uh, I'm willing to follow the good advice and counsel and direction of my caucus on it. Uh, do I find value in the very things that uh, Chairman Lake and uh, and, and now Chair, Chairman uh, McGeehan are referencing, you bet I do. Um, and my profession is one of those that benefits, uh, arguably benefits uh, from a sales tax exemption. Uh, and we are a more service-based economy. I do disagree that we're given a competitive uh, 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 advantage because 
retail good sales are not in competition with the legal profession. The question to me is, does my profession have a responsibility uh, to participate in that? And I, I personally think the answer to that is yes, but uh, I, I won't get ahead of my caucus at this time. All right, here's one directly off the card. Carol, may I yeah, just sure. uh, make a short response? I, I want you to know that uh, basically lower taxes is good tax policy, but but when you start lowering the tax rate, I can tell you that we did a substantial amount of research in 2006 on this issue. And what will happen if you lower the tax rate in the state of Idaho to 4%? Immediately, you're going to have a driving force to start bumping it right back up because there is, we found this out, there is satisfaction with the 6% sales tax Try to go to seven, uh-uh, not going to happen. But, uh, but there's satisfaction with the 6% sales tax, and we'll end up right back at 6% in a few years. So what did you do? You raised taxes. Wouldn't you like some more of that delicious federal stimulus money? Or would you be against that? I want some more of that cake. <laughs> 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 yeah, if you haven't tried your cake, I must tell you, it is quite delicious. So <laughs> what about federal stimulus? If there was any way that could come around the pike again? We had a lot of uh, legislators that had quite the hue and cry, we do not want federal money. I, we have to start figuring out how to, I mean, if we're going to espouse our sovereignty as a state, we need to figure out how to how to be able to pay for our own programs in our state. And, and when we get federal money from the government, it all comes from the same pot. We're all taxpayers, and there's limited resources that are out there and that are available. And that only further compounds the problem that we have on a federal level, and that is that our model is broke. Our country is headed for fiscal disaster, and I'm starting to see videos and things about the Chinese taking over our financial markets and I mean it's scary out there we got to put an end to it I don't care where it comes from we just all need to on all levels as I mentioned <laughs> all need to be <laughs> we need to be responsible and accountable for ourselves and for our programs on every level you comment on stimulus money federal stimulus money all right um, what creative methods of dealing with the funding crisis have other states used that maybe Idaho could use? Uh, they've listed specifically South Dakota, Wyoming, but have, have you researched any states that are not in the crisis that Idaho's in, and did they have some good ideas we could use? Well, Idaho is not an energy-based state, and states that have, frankly have natural resources uh, such as oil and gas reserves have certainly weathered the storm uh, a lot better. I was in a meeting with uh, uh, Governor Schweitzer from uh, Montana recently in which he was talking about how they backfilled their big 5% problem and I just thought, oh man, uh, but we don't have those uh, revenues uh, uh, that are available to us. Frankly, Idaho, in my opinion, has done a better job than a lot of the states uh, in this country and uh, we've managed our way through the problem one step at a time. We've not kicked the can down the road. Um, I mean, we could certainly follow the models of Oregon, Washington, and California, uh, and uh, just continue to hope the problem goes away uh, and spend their way through it, uh, and that's not been particularly helpful. Governor Greg Wire, uh, a few days ago, released her executive budget, 
governor from uh, Washington and spoke to uh, that. And, and my, my memory of her quotes are that she finds parts of her own budget to not uh, be moral. Uh, as difficult as uh, we are, uh, our, our financial uh, position is as a state. Frankly, I think we've managed it about as well as we can. Uh, would I have individually done things differently? You bet. But collectively, I think Idaho is postured as well as any state uh, going forward. That's why several publications uh, have uh, suggested that Idaho is postured to come out of the recession as quickly or more quickly than most. Uh, USA Today had uh, an article on it. Uh, uh, when our controller went back to visit with uh, Wall Street on our most re recent uh, bonding rating, again, the Wall experts on Wall Street continued to improve our rating and said that of all the states in the nation, Idaho has done as good a job as any, and among the best at actually being able to predict, target, budget, and live within uh, a number. And I know it's painful. Boy, I know it's painful. I, I, I see it daily with uh, uh, my spouse is a school teacher, but the reality of it is uh, I think Idaho has done the best it could under the circumstances, and that's with hindsight. Uh, do I know what the right thing is to do in 2012? Uh, I don't yet, but I know that collectively we will do uh, what needs to be done in as conservative and responsible a way as we possibly can. Said it all. I appreciate Senator's remark, and I would just say that I don't believe that we are in a crisis mode by any uh, means. Uh, we're, we have challenges, but I don't think we're in any crisis. I think California is in a crisis. It's all relative. What about higher education? We're about at the point. The last story we did uh, earlier this week with uh, I think it was Jim Fletcher from ISU, the financial director there. Probably tuition at ISU going up another 10 percent or more. At this point, most of the kids in the state are graduating $30,000 in the hole. To get a job in Idaho usually averages about $30,000 a year. Have you any suggestions in light of the big hole and the lack of money we're going to have, but anything we can do to push these kids to get a higher education, which we're doing on billboards everywhere, go on, go on, but we don't know how the heck you're going to pay for it and we can't help you. What are we going to do about that? I, I have some ideas on how we can also improve the health care delivery system through our higher education system. They're there, they've got the knowledge, the expertise. We need to just set up the partnerships already in Meridian. ISU is, they're working on clinics over there, dental and medical clinics, where their students are, are helping to treat the underserved population in those communities. Like I said before, we've got the brain power in this community, in this room, to do to solve a lot of these problems. We just need to have the will, and and that's that's part that's not doesn't directly answer your question about the affordability of higher education and 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 more money for education. But if we can do things like that, those are the kinds of ideas that I think will help support our our higher education institutions and our students as well. And I just comment that even with uh, the proposed uh, increase in the tuition, Idaho's education is still a bargain. It's one of the lowest in the in the nation, uh, and we've had reports that demonstrate that. I think we're doing a lousy job uh, with higher education. It's the one. It's the first place we go to to cut, and we cut deep. 
Uh, we've expected higher education to backfill its needs with additional grants. Uh, we heard a, a presentation at our last city club by uh, former chancellor of uh, the University of Nevada system. But what we are learning from our university presidents is that uh, that's where they uh, need to go to backfill some of their budget needs. When dad was uh, president of the State Board of Education, I want to remember him telling me once that he asked uh, then President Hoover how much time he spent raising revenue. And he said, well, counting everything I have to do as a university president and uh, uh, solicitations and working with the legislature and everything, I want to remember, Dad, that he said something like two out of every three hours he spends doing nothing more than as a university president focusing on the raising of revenue. Well, maybe that is the job of a university president today. I don't know. Uh, but it is unfortunate that uh, uh, that our kids today are, are going to university expecting to pack out the kind of debt that they are. I wish we could do better. We've tried. Governor Otter worked hard to establish an East-based scholarship program. We we put some pretty serious money in there for a couple of years. Interest rates are down, so it's not generating very much. And frankly, the last two budget cycles, we haven't been able to throw a nickel at it. Uh, Senator Mortimer, who probably doesn't want me to call attention to him on this, was the first person to privately put money uh, into uh, uh, that program. Individuals can contribute to it. Companies can contribute to it. Uh, we hope that they'll continue to consider that. But frankly, this is an area that I, I it's the nut I want, to, I want to crack, and I haven't figured out how to crack it yet. But I know that in talking with my colleagues in other states, frankly, um, uh, they're struggling with it as much or more. Now, I might say, to Idaho State University's credit, uh, that institution has done a remarkable job in managing their budget. And frankly, somebody ought to ask uh, Art Valus, how's he done it? Uh, he got rid of all the adjuncts. I was one of them. <laughs> and that's a good move. That, that, that didn't save much money, did it, Carol? <laughs> well, you're going to get a pay raise now that you're doing news for two channels, so. I so wish. <laughs> um, it appeared when you guys were going out for your organizational meetings uh, at the beginning that there was a, I think I'd be fair in saying a bit of a power struggle. Will will the legislature this year be fighting conservatives against ultra-conservatives, or how do you see that playing out? I, it doesn't seem like we've much a fight between Republicans and Democrats, because there's so few Democrats. So are we going to have ultra-conservatives fighting the moderate conservatives? Um, I, it from what like I a saw, dangerous question to me, so <laughs> go ahead. What I saw last year was a really great... I mean, we recognized the problems that we had at hand, and I saw, you know, in the House and then across the rotunda with the Senate, uh, a really great po positive working attitude to solve the problems. And I, I, I don't anticipate anything different than that this coming session. In fact, some of the, I mean, we're going to also reach across the aisle and work with our Democrat colleagues because these problems are so big. And some of the, I had a meeting last week, the first meeting with um, the Department of Health and Welfare and the Medicaid director and Senate and House leadership. And I invited a membership, um, uh, my colleague from the min minority mem membership and um, 
to help us solve the what we're facing in Medicaid, and that's what we need. We, there, I will work for that, and and that's what we need. That's what you all deserve to have. All of us looking out and trying to work together to solve the challenges that that our state faces. Well, I'm not afraid of uh, the, the the conflict and the competition. It's the definition of the legislative process. It's a it's a sausage making process, and you put 105 people together from 35 different regions in the state, and guess what? We don't think the same. Uh, we don't think the same within our own parties, including uh, the minority party. They don't think the same within their own caucus. That's healthy. I'm not troubled by that. Um, on leadership races, uh, uh, frankly, the individuals that ran, in my opinion, would have all, at least on the Senate side, I don't know who all ran on the House side, but on the Senate side, would have each one of them would have made excellent members of leadership. Uh, we have uh, three new members of uh, Senate leadership, uh, 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 two of which were feeling, filling uh, vacancies, and uh, I think it's a healthy uh, competition of ideas and a healthy competition of leadership skills. I'm not, not troubled by that. I have confidence that the members of my caucus uh, will work together well and roll well together when they need to, but I don't want them to agree with each other. I want them to share with the state of Idaho and the Senate their ideas and then find that collective sweet spot and hopefully get done what needs to be done. How about the idea of user's fees? Might we see uh, fish and game uh, toll roads, you, you know, that, uh, as a way of bringing in money, uh, pay for any activity you do in Idaho? What if I buy a toll certificate for the wrong zone and then go <laughs> driving? You will be charged, okay? That's... I would just say that I think uh, this governor has been strong on, uh, on user pay. I mean, that's been his philosophy uh, when we talk about roads and, and other things. Uh, as far as uh, toll roads, uh, we looked at that uh, as part of the Transportation Task Force. Idaho just doesn't have the traffic to justify a, a toll road. Uh, it's not something that will happen here for a long time. Fish and game, any other user services that we can, uh, you know, bigger fee on the snow machine? I think it's 32 bucks now for a registration fee. Charge 50, anything like that in the works, do you think? You could, you could uh, use the same analogy of a user fee with the services that we provide to our Medicaid population and, and ask them to, you know, pay a copay or a sliding scale premium. It's the same type of concept there. That's a, a thought. All right, we have just five minutes left, so I'd like you There's to. Do you have a question? There. My question to Carol is, in a nutshell, why do you couch student loans as something that needs state of Idaho funding when you don't mind my going into debt for business expansion? Because I, I just have three kids that got out of college. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what's real to me right now. <laughs> Let me use this question as, as kind of your wrap-up, you know, statement because we, we try to get everybody out here about 1:30. Um, what would you rate the state of Idaho's long-term efforts at economic development? I mean, what should our goals be for the Gem State? You know, uh, economic development is something we've been promoting for as long as I've been in the legislature, and I suppose uh, it's something we've done for years. The the problem is uh, we need to focus on the type of economic development we we promote. We cannot promote 
economic development just for the sake of it. It's got to be economic development that has living wages, wages that pay more than what they take out in services. A lot of jobs that we create do not do that. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, uh, not pointing a finger, but thinking about the tourism industry, for example. Uh, the jobs we create there do not pay for the services that uh, those, those people that have those jobs require. Uh, state services I'm talking about. So we, we want to promote industry to come in uh, and, uh, and uh, those, those organizations that, that uh, pay the, uh, their, their employees well, provide benefits, uh, those are the kinds we should recruit. I think we, in terms of not just the grandiose ideas of economic development, which I do have some ideas there, but just the common sense things of policies that help support our small business, existing small business owners across the state. And so I think, you know, we, we can certainly improve on some areas there, but for some, some big ideas, I think there's a lot of opportunity and potential for Idaho, especially in this area, for energy research and development. What what's the, the INL is working on these hybrid energy islands, working on building a model to use coal, gas, um, nuclear, and put together a, a, an engine, a model that we can have an energy system that could be replicated across the country. And I think there's a lot of potential in that idea and what we have here in Southeast Idaho with the Center for Advanced Energy Science to do the research for some of that. We have a lot of opportunity in those areas and, and to bring some of those high tech jobs to Idaho and, and help produce some goods. I think we have a lot of opportunity and we can, I, see, I, I just see a lot of promise in that area. Well, I don't want to filibuster here, but uh, I know you won't care. Uh, I have believed for some years that uh, one of the things that will help us economically as a state is to have a regulatory and tax structure environment that is inviting both to the businesses that are here to stay and to grow, uh, but also for a good positive business and industry to come to our state and pay uh, a, a good living wage. I am worried, however, that uh, I watch at the federal level and at the state level, sometimes we pick winners and we pick losers. And uh, I don't know that we, frankly, as a legislature, have the talents and the skills to know always uh, who the winners should be and who the losers are. We, we pick the, the, the person who's at the door inviting us and telling us they're a winner instead of asking uh, perhaps some of the harder uh, questions. But that's, that's human nature to make that mistake from time to time. Uh, Governor Otter has been focusing a lot on Project 60, and uh, Lieutenant uh, Governor Little has worked uh, very hard on that. Uh, we've uh, seen some dividends uh, paid from that. We are seeing some uh, growth here in eastern Idaho and some indicators for growth that are very encouraging. As we look at the numbers uh, coming out of eastern Idaho and compare them statewide, uh, the I-15 corridor continues to perform more, perform more strongly than other portions of the state. However, uh, you each know that we're not performing as well as we have in the past or we want to. Uh, for 12 years, uh, while I have been in the Senate, I have watched us uh, focus a great deal of our effort on uh, economic development. We have, uh, you know, Linda Martin really should be the one uh, speaking to this and others in this room uh, that have worked so hard on economic development. But I think it's an important part of uh, what we do as a state and uh, the policy that we set uh, 
but I think that there's another component of economic development that I sometimes hear that uh, we need to remember, and that is that when employees uh, from out of state uh, or other regions of the state come to interview for jobs either in our region or in other parts of the state, one of the questions a new employee wants to know is, tell me about your schools. They want to know. They've got a young family. They want to have confidence that their kids are going to get a good education. They want to know uh, if they go to higher or to college and university, how, how are our schools performing? And frankly, we have a lot to be proud of, but we can do better. And frankly, that's why I think in the Constitution, we as legislators have an affirmative duty to provide a substantial, my words, not the Constitution's word, uh, and meaningful education system in this state. And I hope uh, that that will always be a principal focus uh, of our state, and it certainly is for me, uh, for me now, not my children, but my grandchildren, all of whom attend schools here in the state of Idaho, uh, I want them to get a solid uh, education. And I think everybody in this room, and I know that my colleagues who sit at this table feel the same way about it, that that's the area that we need to continue to focus as hard on uh, as we possibly can because it too has a very significant economic development component. Well, I'd like to thank you. It's a huge sacrifice to be a legislator, to give up that time on your personal income, uh, to be a, a community player. I don't envy what you have coming up next session. You may wonder if you were crazy to rerun for office, but we know you're approachable, you're there when we need you, and uh, we can get a hold of you as this session progresses. Thank you for your time today, and we want to give you official City Club member coffee cups, chocolate cups, Thank you. cold water cups, it will hold a beverage. Thank you everyone so much for coming. You're listening to KISU, Pocatello, Idaho Falls, and Blackfoot.